Kanao, a podcast of the Purple Prize Hawaii's Indigenous Innovation Competition. I'm your host, Kalei Akau. As the sun rises in the east, the sky transforms from dark shades of blue and purple to bright pink and orange when finally the first rays of sun emerge on the horizon. Poni is the purple color painted across the sky right before the sun rises, and Manao means to offer our thoughts, ideas, and intentions. We are at the dawn of a new day where our indigenous perspectives, practices, and cultures will shape our future. In ecologically balanced societies, culturally embedded technologies enhance and serve sustainable living systems that provide health and well-being for Aina and people. Poni Manao celebrates and shares the stories, experiences, and knowledge of Indigenous innovators and thought leaders at the forefront of culture, technology, sustainability, and social entrepreneurship. Today we are joined by two of our Maori cousins, Ian Musson and Lee Timu Timu. Ian is the founder and program director for Kokiri, New Zealand's inaugural accelerator dedicated to speeding up the development of Maori-led startups. With a passion for supporting Indigenous peoples, Ian views his role as connecting the dots and building the people who build their businesses. Lee is the CEO and founder of Aotearoa Cultural Trails. With experience in the IT support services sector and Maori storytelling space, Lee and his team participated in the Kokiri Business Accelerator program and built Aotearoa, a mobile app that brings Maori stories to life, connecting users with authentic cultural content and information. Ian and Lee, mahalo piha for being here today. We are very excited and very honored to talk story with you both. We always like to start off our talk stories with asking you to share a little bit about yourself and where you call home. So yeah, my name's Ian Musson. That's a real traditional Maori name. <laughs> Not really. Um, <laughs> I, I call a place, a little place of paradise that I call home is a, is a place that not many people know about called Whangara. Um, with that, where people do resonate with is there, were mo- there was a movie about 15 years ago called The Well Rider. And it tells a story of uh, a person named Paikia and their, I guess, connection to the land and that space there. So if you ever see that movie, that's my little piece of paradise. Um, the marae you see on there, the land you see on there is, is effectively where we call home. Um, where I live in New Zealand, however, is somewhere else. Um, but effectively like an adopted home where I live in the Waikato region, which is... Now, if we talk about New Zealand, we generally describe it as an hour south of Auckland, where people tend to know. So that's our little place in paradise. Um, beyond that, my whakapapa or my lineage goes back um, to a small sub-tribe called Ngati Konohi, which is in a little place where there's nothing really around except for wonderful people and, and a piece of land that we love and appreciate that is the first place to see the sun in the world. Um, and yeah, it's just a place where I can find peace the place that makes me happy. So. Um, kia ora everyone, my name is Lee Timu Timu. Um, I am a descendant of, descendant of multiple uh, tribes in New Zealand. Um, I affiliate to Ngāti Awa, Ngāti Rangi, Tūhoi and Ngāti Parau, um, so I'm a bit of a mix. Um, but I hail from, I was born and raised in a small coastal town in the North Island, Eastern Bay of Plenty called Whakatāne. It's quite famous within New Zealand, but um, so, yeah, pretty much spent most of my life uh, living there, um, but then sort of headed away to the big smoke in Auckland and spent 20, 20 years or so there, and I've been sort of a few other places um, during my life. At the moment, I'm currently living in a city not far from my hometown, and the city that I live in at the moment is called Tauranga, and it's, uh, it's another coastal sort of living uh, town. 
and um, that's kind of yeah that's where I um, do my business and that's where I sort of base myself uh, myself my four kids and wife and five cats so <laughs> yeah but at the moment I'm uh, working in the tech space um, obviously own um, Arataki Cultural Trails mm. great thank you so much for sharing I guess the first real question that we have is uh, to ask you what the story behind Kokiri is uh, what led to the in what's the intention behind it what led to building up a business accelerator that's Maori based cool so it's one that I guess you get asked frequently. Um, the the whakapapa or the genesis behind it, effectively, or the backstory, is New Zealand has had, and I, I say purposely New Zealand as opposed to Aotearoa, has had accelerators in place for about 10 years. Um, there's about 10 accelerator providers in the country and about a, a range handful of other who provide incubation services. Now, over the last 10 years, there's been a real limited or lack of engagement with both Māori and Pacifica whānau in that space. And effect, less than 1% of all participants who have gone through these programs have been recognised as a Polynesian heritage. Um, and now, with that in mind, that kind of proposed us with a problem, particularly around the notion that our people are, like Hawaiians, there's a natural instinct around innovation and entrepreneurship. Like, we look back and that we got to New Zealand out of, you know, a uh, desire to seek something new, um, to take a risk and navigate, you know, seas that were unknown to get to a place. So that's, it's kind of inbuilt. So there was a, a disconnect to that's our heritage and then why people aren't participating in these programs. And so it gave us the opportunity to reach out and actually figure out why that was the case. And the long story short of it is that traditional metrics that are measured by an accelerator didn't really resonate or didn't resonate or sit comfortably with our whānau back home. So where you know, a traditional accelerator or model around that would look at the scalability and the profit and the outcomes and the exits that come from it, a lot of our whānau were looking at how can I build something that, yeah, it is scalable, but it provides communal wealth and community benefits. It provides an outcome that ensures intergenerational prosperity. It creates employment outcomes. And so we were able to then, okay, that's that's the disconnect is, is that measurement piece. So can we build something that reflects the needs of our audience and develop it from there? So build it with your assistance. Look at what is considered best practice startup 101, but disassemble it and then utilize some of those learnings, but built upon a, a model that is founded in values. So values first effectively, and then principles or the ability to execute it secondly. So that was kind of the notion of where it was born out of. Um, there was a need, a need that wasn't being met. And for us, it allowed us to build a program that could demonstrate that you could achieve success from a startup perspective in a different way if you focused on the needs of the audience. Um, and for me, when we were putting it together, kind of a definition of success would be if we can achieve like similar, if not better outcome to status quo. And I feel we've done that. And a big part of it was also helping people to understand that we need to redefine what success looks like for a startup because the existing measures aren't necessarily always applicable to all people and they're kind of something that they're kind of a box that we've considered a status quo that we'd fear to challenge so if we can challenge that and create something new and then build a model that achieves that success in my opinion we're doing something well particularly if it creates benefits to a community and the example I always use is um, 
I got I got family in a place called Rotoria, which is you know, struggle to find it on a map. Okay, but if you chucked it into Google, you'd eventually find it where there is high deprivation in terms of employment, there is a large dependent dependence on government assistance, there's significant family violence, you'd be you'd struggle to find two parent families there, um, and there's influences on gangs from gangs. Now Contextually, if we could have a company build a business there that creates employment for 10 people, you know, it may be worth, say, a million dollars, but it creates employment for 10 people, which means that there are now 20 kids that can see mum or dad go into full-time work, so they've got a better example to what they're used to. It kind of breaks a certain cycle. That means that next generation have this real positive alignment in there, and you're creating success in a community like that. You know, for me, that's greater success than having a solar founder somewhere else in the big smoke build something amazing and make themselves a couple million bucks. So if we can focus on the other, that was kind of some of my drivers, but yeah. Wow, that's that's a lot to unpack, but also it seems like the whole intent was shifting the paradigm from mm. what a traditional startup in a Western sense looks mm. like and using completely different measures of success and value. And that is really great to hear that it's happening also too on the other side of the Pacific. Um, I guess, I also wanted to talk a little bit and have a better understanding of what the landscape looks like in New Zealand right now. So for a lot of underrepresented communities in the US, especially you know Native Hawaiians, Indigenous peoples, it's hard to achieve what we call the American dream and achieve this ideal life of owning a home, having a stable family, and being able to enjoy everything that society has to offer. Is it similar to the Maori experience? And if so, like, how does Kokiri or this paradigm shifting movement that you are creating from the ground up uh, kind of work as a response to, to the issues that we have right now in our society? Yeah, so yeah, there are very similar concerns back home. Um, what one thing we kind of set out to try and achieve was the notion that you can build success from home as opposed to having to go to a place like Auckland or Wellington, our, our largest cities, to see success come to you. So what tends to happen is that these smaller communities, kids get older, they want to go and study, they want to go and make something of themselves with the intent that I'm going to go away, then I'm going to come back. Um, they go away, they see the bright lights, they don't come back home. And if we wanted to build something that could demonstrate that with the connectivity that we have, and something like the size of New Zealand, it's really easy to get around. You know, regardless of where you are in the country, you can build success there. With the idea being is that our larger cities, to try and own a home, you know, unless you've got to get a foot in the market already, you know, some people will never own a home. Um, however, in some communities around New Zealand where either there's family land or there's cheaper house prices, the opportunity to build that dream, whatever you determine it to be, is a reality. For us, it's just about kind of shifting that paradigm and getting people in the mindset that you can build that type of success back home. And so purposefully what we've done with the program was a lot of, I'm not saying it's right or wrong, but a lot of startup accelerators in New Zealand, they look to cater for a national audience on the premise that you can move to a particular place for three to six months, um, which is hard enough in itself, but then you put it with Alfino where they've got responsibilities to where they're from, whether it's on their marae, within their whanau or whatnot, asking that to happen was just too much of a, it's too, too much of a difficulty. So purposefully, we were lucky that we've got a spot in Hamilton 
we've got accommodation on the back so we can fly people in and they can stay with us and we'll do it on like week-long periods on the notion that you need to go back home because life still happens um you know is enough stress on your family already let alone being away for three or so months and so the idea is that we want you to go home plus with the startups we're working with oftentimes the very first customers are the people from back home and so we want them to go back and you know support them so stay within those communities on the promise in the future that they become the beacons of light to that next generation coming through so we can stop that urban drift moving to the cities we can support those beacons that are doing amazing things from Whakatane like Lee, um, from Ruatoria, from places like Kawara, these places that you may never have heard of, but um, <laughs> there's small townships that, you know, with the right leadership and the right kind of inspirational people there have so much to offer. And the idea being as well is that we find that kids in these environments are, they have a lot of talent. It's just the opportunity to have someone who's an inspiration that they can see themselves in a reflection of. Um, as opposed to just the, you know, the big superstars that are out there, I can see someone like Lee, and a young fella's like, bro, I want to be like Lee Timmy Timmy. And, you know, it's like, and Lee's two steps ahead of me, but Lee's from this community. And, yeah, if we can create that, that's, yeah, that's something cool. And it kind of gets me emotional. <laughs> <laughs> now it gets me emotional, too. I mean, place and where you're from and your whakapapa, your yeah. mo'oku auhau is very, like, that's what is to the core of us yeah. as Native people, which is really great to hear. Um, I I would love to learn more about your background, Lee, and kind mm. of the origin story between behind um, Arataki Cultural Trails and where that came about. Um, sure. So I um, so I've kind of uh, wandered in the IT space for about sixteen or so years, um, doing all sorts of different things. Um, I kind of happened into the whole IT thing. It wasn't like I studied to do it or I, I aspired to do it when I was a young guy because I didn't um, so my life up until probably a couple of years ago has just really been a, 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 a series of random happenings to be honest and, and a lot of that was around the fact that I had no uh, direction I had no motivation or aspiration and you know what that's not an uncommon thing for our young Maori people so um, we've been talking about um, providing ways to um, help show them pathways w into, you know, different uh, industries uh, in terms of job, jobs and work. Um, and that's something that we're heavily involved in as well in terms of um, just showing our young people that, um, you know, if we can be successful, um, and we are, then they can see, they can be successful as well. So the simple message of if I can see success, I can be success. And it's such a simple thing, but I, I founded an event, um, and this is going on to something else, but I founded an event um, last August called Kumawi Hangaro, and basically what it is, it's a, it's a Māori uh, entrepreneur uh, speaker series um, where we invite um, su successful Māori entrepreneurs to speak to an audience of rangatahi or youth um, to share their stories, to share their journey and the challenges that they've had in their lives to get to where the, where the point that they're at uh, at the moment, which is a place of success, right? So very simple, but so powerful. I mean, um, we had kids, to, even though it was hosted in Tauranga, where I live, we had kids come from all over the North Island wow. to engage, right? Yeah. So a couple of things, we, we, we didn't realise that the demand was there for that type of thing, so we just thought it would be a cool idea, and so we did it. So 
um, but the engagement and the in the in the feedback and the in the reception was overwhelmingly positive. So we've taken that whole kaupapa or that event, and we've we're we're going to do more of it this year. So and a, a lot of that is about engaging with people out in the regions. So not just the big cities. We're talking about small towns like um, some of the towns that Ian's mentioned, um, and getting our people. Uh, our entrepreneurs out there into those uh, regional communities, into those small communities, and providing those beacons of light, showing our kids out there that, hey, we're doing some amazing things. We really are. We're doing some groundbreaking, world-first things in the technology space. And you know what? You can do that too. You know why you can do that? Because it's in your whakapapa. You're a Māori, so you can do it. So innovation is in our DNA, and we've spoken about this already, Mm -hmm. um, because it is. Our, Mm -hmm. Our tūpuna our kupuna were innovators they were disruptors before disruption was a word um, and they were um, risk takers they were people that had to think outside of the square because uh, when Hawaii ran out of space and resource our ancestors were faced with a difficult decision to basically move and so what did they do they came up with a plan and they came up with a process and a way to get themselves and their people from one place to another place and that takes a significant level of innovation i tell you that so hey we've been doing this stuff for bloody centuries so it's nothing new to us but to tell a young person who doesn't know that story who doesn't realize that shit my ancestors were actually innovators they were business people they were entrepreneurs they were doing this stuff well before um, i was ever born but to know that that's ingrained in my dna is a very powerful statement because then that young person can can realize and be and have aspiration to become a successful person whatever success looks like I'm not just talking about business I'm talking whatever that person or whatever that young person chooses to do in their lives but it's about showing them the way it's about saying to them hey I'm doing okay we're doing okay you can do okay too so anyway coming back to other <laughs> cultural trails so essentially it was born out of my uh, experience in IT I also founded a Māori storytelling collective 10 years ago that initiative is called Te Reo Wainini o Tua. we've been here actually to do some mahis or some work at the university a couple of years ago so what that initiative is all about is about a, a collective of Māori storytellers sharing our oral histories um, with our tamariki, our kids, and our rangatahi, our youth, um, in an event-based program where we just rock up to a venue, we invite our kids into that venue, and the storyteller shares a story through the oral tradition. So the good old old school telling a story, nothing, nothing like it. I've seen it many, many times before because I've been doing it for the last 10 years. So that's how I got involved and founded and um, basically passionate and excited about cultural storytelling. So essentially those two passions or loves that I have within my life for the past two decades pretty much of storytelling and of technology, smashing those two things together and we founded or I founded Arataki Cultural Trails so that's basically the backstory. So I get excited about storytelling, any form of storytelling, not just using technology because for us tech, tech is just the enabler. It's certainly not the 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 most important thing in what we do because it isn't what's important is the story it's a, it's the content it's the cultural narrative because these are things that are treasures to us and we need to maintain and we need to retain and we need to look after these treasures 
for our future generations because it's the future generations that we really need to be thinking about now, not us. Mm -hmm. We need to think about the ways that we can maintain this cultural narrative, this cultural context, cultural systems, beliefs, systems, and all those things that are really important to us as Indigenous people. How are we going to provide or how are we going to maintain this treasure so that our kids in the for the future generations can benefit from that and this is just one way that we can do it is through a platform that we've created which is essentially a storytelling app and not only that it allows you to unlock authentic story and location and we're just in the process of scaling content across Aotearoa New Zealand at the moment which basically means you'll be able to use our app to access more stories and more locations around the country and that's kind of our phase one goal mm -hmm. Um, I guess phase two is our leads into our global aspirations, which is basically taking what we've created and sharing it with our indigenous um, whanau or indigenous mm -hmm. people around the world. So hence why I'm here in Hawaii, because I want <laughs> to share what we've done, what we've created, how it benefits um, indigenous peoples, how it benefits communities, and how... Um, taking back your cultural narrative is an important thing, so I think Waikiki may be a good example, but anywhere in, in, in this country, for example, anywhere where there is um, second-hand story being told about mm. uh, what we would call a wahi or a culturally significant site, mm -hmm. that shit needs to stop because oh yes. <laughs> we need to take that story back and we need to say, hey, that is not the correct story. We need to share and provide the authentic voice of the land through our people. Technology will enable us to do part of that, mm -hmm. but it is definitely more about um, what is the authentic story, why is it important to us, and why are, uh, why, are place, why is place an important thing to us? Because it is, whenua is important to us, moana. Um, the environment is, is to indigenous peoples, and it's no different here in Hawaii, very important to us. So how are we going to share and uh, more of that information and their cultural context and you know what educate people mm -hmm. so i think i'll stop there because at the crux of the work that we or the mahi that we're doing at the moment yeah that's really really awesome to hear i want to learn more about how you got involved with kokiri and what kind of led to that and what you're able to um, learn from participating in so we were really fortunate to be a part of the first Māori Business Accelerator, Kōkiri. Um, we went through a obviously uh, application process, and um, I think we were, we made it down to the shortlist of twenty from application numbers of one hundred and sixty something, whatever. Um, so, but the interesting thing about the process, and I've said, I've, I've told Ian this before, I, I actually gave ourselves no chance at getting into this program. I, I literally decided to put in an application the day before. Oh. Um, so I chucked it all together, um, thinking, you know what, I'm probably not going to get through, but, you know, let's give it a try anyway. Did the video um, promo clip thingy um, the day of, and so, you know, it was kind of last minute and uh, last minute decision making. So, um, but w why I mentioned that is because I didn't really back myself. I didn't back my idea. I didn't back this concept that I had in my mind. In fact, we had already started building it. So uh, I guess it's about um, a little bit of self-determination and being confident about what you believe in, what you're thinking about, and sometimes being uncomfortable 
or placing yourself in an uncomfortable position when you don't think people will believe in what you're trying to create or develop. And these are all lessons that I, from now I think, well, okay, that was actually good for me. That was good for me because I did back myself, even though I didn't think we'd get through. We ended up getting into the shortlist of 20, did our final pitch in a, in a place called Wellington. Um, and w once again, I thought, well, okay, they just really are giving us another chance. We're not going to get through into the last 10, right? So um, long story short, we made it into the final 10, which really just validated for me and for us as a company, as a family business, that shit, we actually do have something that's worthwhile, like, like you know, s people actually believe in it. So that was our first piece of validation at that point. So it was very important to us to um, to make it into the Kokiri Accelerator. Um, and then and then once we were part of that um, whānau, because it has become a family for us, right? So we were fortunate and privileged to, um, you know, sort of uh, meet nine other amazing uh, Māori business businesses, including Ian and his team, running the program and be exposed to a number of, um, um, I guess, mentors and also uh, knowledge experts um, and corporate organisations and, and that type of thing, which basically helped us, I suppose, um, lift our game a bit. And yeah, we, ne we needed it. Yeah, we really, we really did need that hand up. Um, and so that's um, that's kind of how we we got onto the Kokiri um, accelerator. I think the most important thing, if there was one thing that I need that I could say that I take from being a part of the program, is that um, I really felt that it was it was very much um, had a very sound cultural base, a very sound cultural framework from which we were able to build our business sort of around that mm. as opposed to the other way around so a big challenge for us is trying to implant our cultural values into a western business paradigm and that is very challenging mm -hmm. of course i don't think we're even halfway there yet but mm -hmm. we are definitely a lot stronger um, in knowing that our cultural values come first and all of that business stuff comes later right so we we always come from an angle or perspective where if it's important to us culturally, then that's where we need to start. That's the, that's the starting position. That's the default position, right? Mm -hmm. It's not a add-on. It's not a oh, I've, uh, it's, a, it's a not an afterthought, which happens in too many instances within other non-indigenous accelerators. I haven't been on any, but <laughs> I'm just kind of generalizing here. But I'm sure Ian could back me up on that. In fact, he talked about it a little bit more. So. Um, and that was very important to us because um, we're indigenous, we're Māori. Um, to have this accelerator that was created for Māori business instantly resonated with us because, we're like, okay, cool, someone's actually had the thought to think about creating something for Māori business. Well, that's a big check next to that box. So, um, But that really helped us grow as a business, as a family, because we were related, um, there's four of us. Um, and then it's also helped us overcome some of the challenges around implanting our cultural values into our business values, which, uh, which is challenging, but hey, it's something that I'm really, um, is really important to me um, because my culture is important to me. So, yeah. So. yeah. Well, this perfectly segues into um, my next question is, um, I'm curious to 
learn more about the indigenous innovation or technology ecosystem as a whole in New Zealand. I mean, for us here in Hawaii, it's existent, but it's in very small pockets and based in communities, based on islands, and there's not a lot of cross-collaboration. I mean, especially booking a ticket on Hawaiian Airlines, it's like $200 just to fly for a day to a neighbor island. And so uh, what is it like in New Zealand, and is there progress being made, or is there a long way to go, or what are your thoughts about that? Yeah, so probably very similar in some in some ways to Hawaii. Um, it's kind of a an emerging market or an emerging economy, and so and the reason I say that is that I guess getting around is not a hard thing, and generally getting the chance to sit with someone from an indigenous perspective in New Zealand is not a hard thing, as long as it's done in the right way, you know, and, and it's gone with the right intentions, as opposed to, and what I mean by that is, you know, how an outcome can be mutually beneficial. I'm not trying to leverage your asset and you're not trying to leverage mine. So how can we work together to create something? We had a conversation earlier around the importance of culture and approaching, um, say, stakeholders or potential partners and the means to go around that. One, the importance of face-to-face -face and you know the significance of being able to do stuff collectively together. And also understanding and appreciating the practices that allow that transaction to occur. So me knowing what, I guess, the right way to approach a situation in your iwi is, as opposed to kind of imposing my suggested norm on how we engage in that space. Um, from an economy perspective in New Zealand, there's, from an external perspective, there's a lot of money in the iwi there, so in the tribes. And, and generally that's come as a result of treaty settlements, so where lands and mon money has been brought back to the iwi, to the tribes. However, the, the appetite around investment of that is quite limited. And, and, and what I mean by limited is because it's been a long, hard task to get land back and to get money back, the appetite to invest that in something that's non-traditional is slim to none. So the risk appetite is quite limited. So the money is invested into land, beef, cattle, sheep, et cetera, et cetera. So things that give a return, but that's kind of a fairly safe investment. So the opportunity to seek cash out of these iwi for um, kind of startups, particularly tech startups, is quite a, a difficult thing. Um, and it's understandable why. And I guess part of our kind of mission moving forward is to be able to provide insight and awareness and to help slowly build that appetite for I guess iwi investors in that space. Because from a talent perspective and from Māori startup perspective, there's a lot of opportunity that exists and there's a lot of people that are doing super amazing things that don't want to seek investment from a party that doesn't value align with them. So there might be money for someone like to scale Lee's venture, et cetera, but it's coming from someone who is only seeing it for a capital return as opposed to the opportunity to share a million stories, but once again, rather a million dollars. Um, so there's a lot of, I feel anyway, there's a lot of aspiring Māori entrepreneurs who have the opportunity to do amazing things, are doing amazing things, have the opportunity to scale, but are willing to only do that with the right type of investment. And that's not a bad thing, you know. The idea with it is there's been too many examples of people giving away equity in their company to someone who isn't values aligned then fighting to try and get it back. Um, you know, we had people talk during the program of the exact kind of position they're in, that they've gotten something, they've, you know, taken the opportunity to grow it to scale, and they've gotten to a certain point, but now they own a third of their company. And then 
the ability to drive it is limited for them. The ability to actually for it to continue to follow the why in which they started out to achieve is gone because there's stakeholders that have a greater say in their company now. And what we find is with a lot of Māori entrepreneurs, they don't want that. So for, an, for an, a good example is of the 10 startups that we work with, effectively eight of them weren't seeking a capital raise. Um, they were either looking to debt fund it because it was something that had a greater meaning to them for them to grow, or they were growing it through revenue. Um, and for us, you know, that's, that's cool. Like, I've got no qualms about that. Um, and it, but it does show where the types of enterprises that are being led by Māori, where there's a greater emphasis on the outcome for a community. There's a greater emphasis on being able to kind of share stories. Like, when I, when people ask me about Lee, you know, my idea is kind of a definition of success for them is to share these stories with a million people, or share the stories that they host to a million people, as opposed to making a million dollars. And I'd say that's true for him. And then the idea is there's other companies that resonate in a really similar way. They want to be able to communicate something as opposed to making a lot of money. And that the income from it is just a byproduct as opposed to the means that they set out to achieve. Um, yeah, so just in a real world, uh, as a real world example, uh, we as a company, uh, four owners, four shareholders, equal shareholders, we had that conversation early on in the piece uh, around external investment and what we would do if we were ever faced with that. And we basically decided that we wouldn't seek <laughs> external investment. And the main reason is is we wanted to ensure that would maintain our rangatiratanga, so our sovereignty over the business, and there was no other reason. Um, so we didn't want to compromise our vision we didn't want to compromise our values we didn't want to compromise anything that we felt was important to us in terms of the business itself so the easiest way to do that was to decide not to seek external investment now that doesn't mean that we won't in the future it's just that we have a particular type of investor that we would look for right they have to be culturally aligned they have to be cultural values based um, and they have to be Basically, they have to be willing to jump on board this waka that we've created um, and not want to control or, or take control, right? And and you know what? There are there are plenty of those types of investors. Mm -hmm. uh, it's just finding and connecting with that, um, with those, um, with those type. So um, you know that's um, that was something that was um, you know quite important to us was to maintain our autonomy over this business that we'd created um, and so that's what we did just in uh, just a uh, I guess a commentary on the Maori tech ecosystem in terms of um, actual entrepreneurs and businesses that are out there it's quite a small community um, if I were honest uh, in New Zealand um, I'd probably know most of them um, yeah I do um, and we talk a lot um, so there's a lot of collaboration going on. There's a lot of um, figuring out if we can partner on on certain projects um, to make something cooler. Um, we 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 are connected uh, and we talk a lot and we correspond. You know, so we, so we are very tight knit and close in terms of sharing our knowledge because it is about collaboration. It is about sharing what we have with others and not being precious about that. So um, so we are actually living that right at the moment. So I'm very, very fortunate to know a number of Māori um, tech entrepreneurs that are doing some amazing things and we're partnering with a number of them 
uh, at the moment on various projects but um, so it's very um, it's very um, healthy <laughs> it's very much um, I think it's a burgeoning sort of ecosystem at the moment although small and I guess a lot of what we're doing in the space of uh, motivating our youth into um, career pathways into STEM, um, if that's what they choose to do, um, that's really, we're just creating resource um, for the future, right? So it's, it's showing them that they can, you know, do something cool uh, within the STEM space um, and, and hey, make a living at it as well, but not just that, be true to who they are be true to their Māori-ness or their Māori-tanga um, and be true to what it is that they want to do or, or what it is that they, or the change that they want to make in this world. Um, so yeah, it's, it's really important to us to be able to support that um, the future as well in terms of um, creating more resource and capacity so that our Māori tech, tech ecosystem will grow and then we can see a lot more amazing Māori businesses and Māori technology being developed and created and shared with our own people, um, our own country, but also um, people around the world. Mm -hmm. That's great. I mean, a lot of it is partnering up and collaborating in the right way um, with the right people who have the right mindsets, and I think it's very having very good intentions about everything we do instead of just going for the money pot. But here in Hawaii, our colonial history um, is very much shapes uh, the political and social landscape that we live in today. So our islands, we were united by one king, King Kamehameha Ikahi, and we formed one kingdom before it was overthrown by American businessmen. And so we don't really have a very much um, like a, a strong governance system within a place like the iwi or the haku um, system that's in Aotearoa. So I would love to hear your thoughts on how New Zealand's colonial history and the political geography of Maori people today and how that influences indigenous innovation and your experience or if you had any, any thoughts about how the legacies of colonialism can still continue and how it impacts um, innovation as we try to move forward. It's a heavy question, I know. Um. Yeah, it's a good question. <laughs> uh, actually, we were having a bit of a conversation on, on the Uber on the way over here, and um, we touched on on parts of this question. So I guess my thoughts around that are, firstly, I think as an Indigenous people, I think we're a little ahead on the timeline in terms of our development um, as an Indigenous people within our country. Um, so I think that's that's great for us, but I also acknowledge that a lot of our indigenous um, brothers and sisters around the world, including Hawaii, uh, are behind, um, and, and for, for various reasons. Um, but I do think that we're in a position to be able to share the experiences and knowledge and, and the partnerships and the accelerators and, 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 and all of these cool things that we've been able to create with the support of government in New Zealand, um, in some instances, but be able to share that that knowledge with uh, with our, our whānau here in Hawaii and other indigenous groups around the world. Because I think um, if we can help um, help you guys sort of progress on your timeline here, it's a good thing. I mean, one thing that I really like to say is when Māori succeed, we all succeed. 
So when when any other indigenous people succeed in the world, we all succeed as indigenous peoples, right? So, and I guess that sort of leads into why we have aspirations of sharing this platform that we have created ourselves with indigenous peoples around the world because it, I really think that we have an opportunity to empower uh, other indigenous peoples to share their authentic story, etc., etc. So there's a bunch of ways that um, our um, indigenous whanau around the world can, can benefit. So, um, but coming back to the question, um, we're very fortunate um, that we get a lot of support from our government in terms of funding initi initiatives for uh, Māori business, uh, Māori organisations and Māori initiatives. Um, so that's the first thing. Um, and that's, that's taken a lot of work. Um, a, a number of uh, Māori leaders in the, in, in the past 150 years have had to work, do some significant work um, for us to be in a position that we are in today. But um, we are now, I guess, uh, benefiting in ways through government initiatives. I wouldn't say it's perfect, but hey, at least we've got those opportunities, right? Because I don't think you guys have uh, many, if any, opportunities here in terms of government assistance or federal assistance or whatever you call it. Um, and, that's, and that's shocking, to be honest. I mean... That is terrible, and um, colonization here with uh, the U.S. or American colonization is a story in itself, and that that was horrendous, and how that played out. But if we can help, and if we can help you guys, then we're here. I mean, Ian's here, I'm here, we're here to help, and we've got a bunch of Maori um, entrepreneurs back home, and Maori organizations, iwi trusts, or iwi organizations, tertiary institutions that all have. Um, te ao Māori focus, they, they all um, um, have cultural values that are based on our Māori tongue and all those sorts of things which are really important but we've got a whole swag of knowledge and experience that we can bring here and share and hopefully help you guys um, on your journey and it's going to be tough, it's going to be a struggle but eventually you'll get there and in fact you guys have used us in many ways in terms of modelling um, whether it be for language mm -hmm. uh, with uh, Punana Leo and the language mm -hmm. nests uh, or Kurukopapa or um, uh, uh, you know full immersion uh, programs here uh, in Hawaii um, so we have offered already our um, assistance but I think there's a lot more to be done so um, yeah no, I'd fully agree with what Lee's saying um, from a colonization perspective as strange as it sounds we're I guess because we're, we're a much younger country in that space and so the period from being colonised to now is a much shorter time and so we're always mindful and aware of our indigenous whānau around the world who have had you know hundreds of years of oppression and so for us, and, and I'm not saying there's, there's no perfect way that they've come through it but we've got a really stubborn whānau back in Aotearoa and so I think the means of in that short period of time getting to a point where we are now it's based on that stubbornness, is that they've gone to a point where they just, you know, we shouldn't say no. Um, we should fight for what we want. And we've gone to a point where, um, you know, we're fortunate that there is a lot of assistance to support Māori in business. Um, and like Lee said, you know, there's been a lot of work that's gone in there. But for us, there's always a, a desire internally that if we can take learnings, how can we share them with our cousins around the world? Um, the biggest, one of the biggest learnings that I took from 
um, Kōkini as a program was a lot of our whānau in Māori business were doing their work in isolation and it was an opportunity to build people and, and create that cohort or that whānau mentality that they're willing to support each other and I got to that point where you know everyone's got their each other's backs and we'd do anything for each other and that extends you know across the seas and you know we create these connections where if there's something that we can share with other people because we've been through an experience we're more than willing to help out and and share and to learn and there's always that I guess that notion of you know what can we give what can we give and just the idea of providing the koha or the gifts that we have been I guess exposed to or benefited by and help with our other whanau around the world you know we've we've got a lot to learn in our space and I think the opportunity to come over to Hawaii was um, it served so many different purposes one is to what can we share what can we learn um, and also it helps to it's helped to validate a lot of thoughts in my head because the the troubles that we go through the opportunities that we look at and how we look about servicing those and working through them are shared amongst a lot of different cultures so we're not working in isolation um, so there's an opportunity to leverage each other and that collectiveness of being together and doing it as a, a larger cohort or a larger contingent to be able to actually work through some pretty super things and because a lot of our focuses too are very similar to each other so I look at those who applied for Kōkiri, like from the total total number of applications and how many of them were either socially based or land based or had something to do with, uh, with something within a community that had a cultural benefit to it as opposed to I'm just building a commercial business. You know, I always look at it as everyone knows that there's a transactional part of business, but everyone who applied for the program were trying to serve a, such a, a far greater cause. And for us... I guess the responsibility that comes off the back of that is, you know, we've got all these people who, who want to be a part of it and no doubt it's the same with like Purple Maya and Purple Prize is how do we service those who don't quite make the program? How do we support those, you know, the other hundred or so that are super keen and they're ambitious and they've got that hunger now, how can we help them to still achieve their dreams um, without, you know, obviously our resources go so far, but what can we do to support them so we can just continue this massive wave of Indigenous entrepreneurship and just... Because we've got some mad skills. And like you said, like, you know, when we do well back in Aotearoa, our whanau across here do well. You know, it's the idea of if we can see, like, far more brown faces just killing it worldwide, you know, it's yes. such an inspiration. So <laughs> um, yeah. I remember when, like, we talked about real early on when we started planning the program of guest speakers we'd have. And, you know, you talk about these really amazing people from Aotearoa and different parts of the world. And then we thought about it and there's this idea of these aspirational people that are, you know, those global CEOs, those world-renowned people, which is cool, and they have their place, and yeah, they can share information, and we love it. But there's more inspirational people that are one or two steps ahead of us that we can actually see our reflection in, and ideally they've got a brown face too. So you've got these kids or young people coming through, and they can see themselves and this person from their community just like killing it hard out. And if we get more of that around the world, you know, it just continues to build on that wave of success that we can build, and the success being whatever we determine it to be. Um, I guess the other big thing was when we started off was how can we redefine what success looks like and for us we've gotten to a point but you know it's going to change and it's different for everyone but I guess we want to showcase and demonstrate that the status quo of measuring it by numbers isn't necessarily the case um, that there's far more there's a greater narrative that can be told by I guess focusing on other things like we just had a discussion around the quadruple bottom line and the impact of culture in that and how we need to understand and appreciate and how we can measure the cultural components of business that some people won't care for or won't look at, but for us back home it's important and it's been 
it's a growing desire from other organizations around Aotearoa that aren't necessarily indigenous led or indigenous focused as well. But I guess what it shows that you can challenge the status quo, start a movement, and then eventually other people start wising up to something that we've known forever. So. Well, thank you so much to both of you for sharing your mana'o with us today. I mean, all of the work that you've already done, Purple Prize is definitely using you guys as an example and really relying on your knowledge and your mana'o to help us as we um, continue on our third Purple Prize. And um, we're really excited for all of the collaboration that we're going to be doing in the future. But again, thank you for being here today. And uh, that's it for this episode of Pony Mana'o. Thank you for tuning in and being interested in Indigenous innovation. I'm your host, Kalei Akau, and this is Pony Mana'o, the official podcast of the Purple Prize. If you like what you heard today, subscribe to Pony Mana'o on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. We hope to see you next time. Bye.